0: Today is Tuesday, March 23rd, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 400 of this show is featuring the Action Network's Matt Moore, powered by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag today. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus when you sign up. Okay, here we go. Another nice new addition to Selfish Beat. Welcome, everybody. It's great to have you with us. I guess it, it is a milestone show. This is number 400. I haven't done all 400 of them, but uh or probably even close to that, quite frankly. But it's great, nevertheless, to be here for this one. I know we had talked about the idea of breaking up Bob Ryan in a robe. Maybe we'll do that next week. But right now, with the trade deadline upon us, just as we talk, it's about 48 hours 50 hours away I know obviously a lot can change in that period of time but it is coming up Thursday afternoon 3 p.m and who better to discuss that with aside from of course Evan Valenti you all know Evan uh, then with Matt Moore from the Action Network who has joined us on this show before is always fantastic and also threw out some news just yesterday regarding the Celtics pursuit of not only perhaps Aaron Gordon but Evan Fournier we'll get into all of it Matt how are you man
1: doing well how are y'all
0: Good. So, all right, let's just, you know, let's dive into this here because in the last, I don't know, 24, 48, 72 hours, whatever it's been, you, Keith Smith, uh, Kevin O'Connor, Sham Sharania, Sam Amick, uh, I feel like I'm forgetting a couple people. It's there's been a lot of of you guys reporting uh, kind of similar information with regard to the Celtics and Aaron Gordon in particular. So tell me who's who's you know cheating off somebody's working class? Who's just copying the guy next to them?
1: I don't think anybody. I will say this. I think <laughs> I think it's it's interesting when you look at the market because the trade market is you have all of these different reporters that are speaking to different people, but the same information gets around. And then obviously like once you hear a a tidbit, you try and chase it down. And I just happened to luck into some good timing on something where I got enough information from enough people to feel good about it. I'm not necessarily a huge newsbreaker. And one reason is like, I'm trying to be pretty selective in terms of, I want to have multiple people that can confirm something Mm -hmm. to know that I'm getting a a pretty good perception of what's going on. Um, So you're going to have, and this is trade rumor season. So everybody's the number one thing I I try and tell everyone is there's a reason that everything gets leaked. Always think about the reason that something gets leaked. And that's important to remember, even with what I reported yesterday.
0: Yeah, and obviously I'm joking around. Most of the people I mentioned, friends of this program, they've been on before. Everybody does great work, clearly, so nobody thinks I'm actually accusing somebody of stealing somebody's work, even though I know you know that. But why don't you lay out, rather than me regurgitating your article that you posted, uh, do us a favor, lay out for the audience what you have heard with regard to the Celtics and any potential trade partners, you know, Aaron Gordon, Evan
1: Fournier, even if there's anything beyond that that you know of right now. So the most interesting and most pertinent piece of news is that the Celtics matched Houston's offer of two first round picks. The Rockets have wanted Gordon for a long time. Keith Smith reported the Celtics have been looking at Gordon for a long time, for several Mm -hmm. years, in fact. Um, But the latest, biggest offer was from Houston, but Houston's offer was contingent upon Gordon agreeing to an extension and the numbers were not going to be something that both sides could agree on. So that wasn't going to be a deal that was workable. The Celtics, however, matched that offer for two first-round picks. That's been a barrier that teams have not gone to. The other teams that are in pursuit, including Denver and Portland, are not willing to get the two first-round picks. And that is a major development. Now, this is a really important piece of this. I do not know the, what protections were offered on those picks. So it could have been a situation where the Celtics offered a first-round pick and then another first-round pick that is so protected, it is more likely to be a second-rounder than a first-rounder. But yeah. – The word I got from multiple sources was that two first-round picks were offered. The framework of the deal was going to be Aaron Gordon fitting into the trade player exception with a first-round pick going back. And then separately in the deal, there was going to be Evan Fournier for for another first-round pick from Boston along with some players. This is where things get tricky because – the the framework that I was told by multiple sides was that Marcus Smart was included. However, I have good reason to believe that Boston is still reticent to include Smart in that deal. It's been discussed today as if the deal is like, this is the offer that's on the table. And I'm trying very actively to be like, no, like the magic want Marcus Smart. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Boston's actually going to give Marcus Smart. And that may be the deciding factor in whether or not this deal gets done. Like that's kind of, I think, the tension point where... The Celtics are hoping the Magic bend and go, all right, fine, we'll do the deal without Smart, and the Magic are obviously trying to hold out. Either way, either way, Evan Fournier would go back to the Celtics along with Aaron Gordon, and I do expect the Magic to wait until Thursday's deadline to see if another offer that's better comes in.
0: Well, and if I remember correctly, uh, Jared Weiss from The Athletic, who was just on the show with us last week, as a matter of fact, he is the one, along with Shams, they put out something with regard to that's the beauty of all this stuff. It's like the Celtics, if there's, if there's a, a guy, a big guy available, the Celtics are automatically going to be linked to him, whether it's right. Gordon Fournier or obviously for the Hawks, John Collins and Bogdan Bogdanovich, who Celtics have also long been linked to going back to when he was still with Sacramento, and they had put out the report, the Celtics might be in pursuit of one or both of those guys. But again, like you just brought up, reticent to give up Marcus Smart. So, you know, I, I tweeted out, a little while before we came on, it's I'm just sort of at that point with Celtics fans, and I am a Celtics fan. Where it's you know you have a segment of Celtics fans saying, "You know, Danny Ainge better make a trade and turn this team into a contender," but then those same people, or or different people, but still Celtics fans saying you know, but you don't, Danny better not trade Tatum or Brown or Robert Williams or Marcus Smart or anybody of any remote value, you know, just screaming it from the rooftops. And at a certain point you got to give, and I'm not saying you got to give with regard to Brown or Tatum. Like to me, those guys are untouchable. I don't think most people would disagree with that statement. And I've long viewed Marcus Smart as as being awfully damn close to that category for what he brings this team, what his contract is, the Defensive presence, the, you know, dominance on that side of the ball, obviously, heart and soul, de facto captain, so many different things we've spent a lot of time talking about with regard to Marcus. But I put out a poll on Twitter. Tide's turned, man. Tide has turned. People who voted, at least, into a large sample, would rather deal Marcus Smart now than Robert Williams. And it all just goes back to, you know, my my rant here, my my long, winding story of... To get something of value, you have to give something up of value. Are the Celtics at a point where, save for picks, and obviously the TPE, they are still just refusing to
1: give up anything of real value in terms of personnel? I think everyone is trying to deal from a position of strength, right? And I don't necessarily think that – I think there's been a history, and the Celtics have benefited from this of teams giving up too much, right? Like the Nets deal, (laughs) like you want, you never want to be on the end of a lopsided trade where you go all in for something and it doesn't work. Like that's always, I think, a concern. Now this situation is a lot different than the Nets deal, but I do think that um, I think a lot of teams are in that kind of position. So the Denver Nuggets are the, are maybe the the second biggest competitor for Aaron Gordon. They're offering Will Barton, ball Bowl and a first round pick as their baseline package Anything more and Denver's probably going to say, mm, we'll pass. We're okay. We're, we're good with where we're at. That I think is kind of the difference here is like Gordon makes a lot of difference for a contender. One of the problems with Boston, I think is that they have, they've underperformed so greatly and it's clear that the, the personnel just isn't good enough that there's a lot of concerns. I think for, you know, you have to make a deal in order to stay above water because they've just been basically taking on water the last two seasons. Now, look, I think this season is a little bit weird. I think this season's a little bit strange. I do agree with you that if you want to get something, you typically have to give up something like you do, but you know, Ainge has also found a lot of opportunities to get, to offer very little and get maximum return. Like the Kyrie Irving trade was pretty lopsided for Boston in the end, even with how it ended. So I, I think every GM is kind of looking for the opportunity and hoping that they'll get the other GM to break. I think in this situation, I think it's unlikely. Orlando has shown time and time again that they're just basically willing to be like, the worst case scenario is we make some more money on the back end with a better team by getting more fans in the arena if we make a playoff push. Like, that's like the mm-hmm. worst case scenario for a small market team. Or they go back again next year with Gordon in the last year of his contract. They can wait till the summer to trade him. They can trade him at the deadline next year. They have other opportunities to make a deal. And so, this is, I think, going to be the, the standoff. Um, The Hawks, I think, with Collins are in a similar situation where they bled for a while, but they've been on a winning streak until last night. And so that's been the word I heard last night was literally, they feel like with this winning streak, they don't have to make a deal. And then they blow a 20-point lead to the Clippers because <laughs> that's how the NBA goes. And that's why you shouldn't make decisions based off of short-term winning streaks in the regular season. Um, This is all to say that I'm with you that I think, If if Boston's going to make an upgrade, you're going to have to move somebody of consequence. And Kemba Walker simply does not have the value on the market. They're open to moving him. Nobody wants
0: that contract.
1: Yeah. But if you're going to move anybody, Marcus Smart is probably the most easily movable deal of all the assets that have value. Nobody's going to be like, "Ooh, Peyton Pritchard, that's Aaron Neesmith. That's not happening. Uh, Smart's the only one that you have that can get the kind of return you're looking for.
0: I'll step aside for Evan in a second, but with Aaron Gordon, because Keith Smith, as I recall, was the first person to tweet out kind of what Orlando was looking for for many of its players in potential trades, whether it was Gordon, Fournier, Vucevic, Terrence Ross, guys like that. And he had put, you know, two picks, two first-round picks, and and a young player, I believe, was what it was. And my, regardless of what you think of Aaron Gordon, that price to me just seemed high. And I realized market value is market value depending on, you know, if someone's willing to pay it, that's where you got to go if you really want the guy and and he's young, he's 25, he's, he's nowhere even close to 26, he's shown promise, he's a guy who a few years back gave you 18 points a game, he can shoot reasonably well, he's shooting well from three this year when he's been out there, he's been very injury prone this season anyway, he's only appeared in 23 games, he has one year left on his contract, I get the upside of Aaron Gordon, especially considering the position the are in, offensively, defensively, all around, like a guy coming in like him, especially him and Fournier, it would make a difference, it really would, but at the same time, two first round picks for Aaron
1: Gordon. It just seemed high to me. So I agree with you. I was skeptical. Anybody was going to match the Houston's offer. Like I was floored when I heard Houston offered it. I was like two, two, two first rounders for Aaron Gordon. Um, this is what's kind of interesting though. Someone reminded me of this, a GM actually reminded me of this. So like, well, you remember Covington got two firsts yeah, and Drew Holiday got five. Like, The market has just been absolutely blown wide open because of some of the decisions that teams have made. Teams have basically said, we're willing to give up draft equity to get a guy that we think makes a really big difference for us to go for it right now. Um, I think that that follows the Warriors era where everyone was like, "Eh, there's not really a need to because we can't win a title. The Lakers don't feel insurmountable. Um, none of the teams in the Eastern Conference feel insurmountable, and so I think there is an openness to that kind of idea. Again, this is where I do think that the protections uh, come into play, right? Because I think if the if you look at the the terms of what was offered, and you're like, yes, technically it was two first rounders. That's a lot different from it was two guaranteed first rounders. Right. That's entirely different. And those are entirely different from two unprotected first rounders. Mm. Like the, the value on these picks is really important when we start to talk about it. So even though you and I may agree that Gordon's not worth two first rounders, is he worth one first rounder, a conditional first? and some pieces yeah or even
0: two firsts that are both lottery protected or something right right so like
1: that just changes the value I think on these things uh quite a bit in terms of how we assess that but I am surprised at the kind of market and look this is not just with Gordon the going price for Lonzo Ball right now is a young player under 25 of some value and a first round pick that is what the Pelicans want for Lonzo Ball who they have no intention of signing as a restricted free agent so it's like you're just going to lose him for nothing, and they're still like, yeah, but if we're going to trade him, this is what we want. But this is just where it's at, and teams are just going to have to decide where they're at with their draft equity and how much they're willing to give up.
2: Yeah, and you have this year where there are so many teams involved with these two playing games in, e- in each conference that, you know, you never know. You might be able to get somebody that gets desperate, as you said, looking for that that potential playoff revenue by having fans in the stands. You know, we've officially hit here. The, uh, yearly Danny Ainge, you know, comes close, <laughs> but doesn't actually pull the trigger, uh, storyline. I mean, it's, it's everybody's favorite time of year. I know Celtics fans are sick and tired of people telling them that Danny doesn't get anything done this time of year, despite being involved in so many trade rumors. And I, and I know it's hard to kind of lump all this together because there's so much information going around. And, and you know, you do a great job. And, and I know Mark Stein brags about this too. Like I don't do things with one source. I make sure that it's properly vetted before I even put anything out there. Does this particular trade deadline when it comes to Boston feel any different than the others, considering how desperate the subjects might be with this particular team or does this just feel like business as usual here?
1: So a couple of things here. I think it's interesting that there's been an acknowledgement uh, both publicly when Danny Ainge went on radio and said, this is not a championship contending roster. Like for him to outright say that is mm-hmm. a sign of their, of where they assess the team. And that sends a signal to everyone to like their, the executives I've talked to have said like, yeah, it does seem like Boston is more willing to actually make a deal this time. There seems to be more urgency with the talks rather than the usual. Well, you know, you give us the world. And we've got these like shiny pebbles that we can give you. So it seems like there's a, there's maybe some of that, but here's the other thing I'll say. Teams are also taking advantage of that perception, right? Like, I don't think the situation is different. Uh, like, I'll, I'll, you know, I, I can tell you like one reason that I was, I wanted to get multiple confirmation on this is this is the type of thing that you leak if you're trying to get the market up for Aaron Gordon, is that the Celtics offer two first round picks and we're really close to a deal and the Celtics really want him. And I have reason to believe that all those things are accurate based off of the sources that I spoke with, but there's still that part of me. That's like, you know, these things evolve very quickly. And Boston by the time that we're recording this could have moved on, but like, that's yeah. one of the things that people don't understand about the trade deadline talks. So much of this stuff happens. And by the time that it gets reported, it's already over. Teams have already moved on. Like, Two days ago, it was John Collins is the hottest name on the market, and all these teams are interested in him. And literally last night, I heard like they're moving away from from talks. Now, the, and that can entirely turn back around in a day if, if somebody else comes in with a major offer. Like, this is it's such a liquid situation in terms of how these things evolve. I think that has to be considered. Do I think the Celtics make a deal? Yeah, I think I do. I, I have a hard time seeing that they are looking at this team, which is basically a 500 team with Tatum. With Brown playing the way that he is, uh, the cover, like they no longer have the Nets picks to fall back on. And just being like, yeah, that's good enough. I mean, I guess we're just going to be fine. That doesn't seem like like the kind of thing that Ainge uh, – that, that, that has never been the Celtics approach under Danny Ainge. So I expect them to be aggressive. We'll see if the, if the price winds up right and if teams wind up playing ball and if they get the best offer out there. But I, I expect Boston to be on the phone right up until the deadline. There have
0: been a lot of names out there. Again, Gordon, Fournier, Collins, Bogdanovich, Vucevic obviously has been one we've talked about for a long time. Uh, Now, earlier today, and this wasn't a a Boston link per se, but Vince Goodwill over at Yahoo tweeting out an article about Indiana and that they, the Pacers are going to be listening on uh, Malcolm Brogdon, on DeMontis Sabonis, shockingly enough. Now, if there's any truth to that, whatsoever like that's one of those guys I've been talking about this for I mean for years since I saw since I watched Sabonis in the tournament in in college you know going destroying my Syracuse team that this is a a guy I'd love to I mean I'd give up almost anything you know obviously not Tatum Brown if I could avoid it but almost anything for DeMontis Sabonis to try and get him into Boston what is the likelihood that you think a guy like that actually moves never mind Boston but in general actually moves and of all these names that we have just been obsessed with in recent weeks Celtics fans I mean is is there one that you think is most likely to wind up in Boston
1: if in fact Ainge does execute a deal so oddly enough I heard chatter about Indiana a few weeks ago and it was so outlandish that I pretty much like sloughed it off and I'm not confirming any of that now because it still no. sounds nuts to me um goodwill is a, a solid reporter i've known him a long time like he he's a guy that oftentimes has reported things and people have been like that's not true and then it turns out to be true so like <laughs> i tend to trust Vinny on these things the other thing you have to keep in mind here if you're wondering if you're trying to figure out like why would they do this why would they possibly do this you need to keep in mind what the pandemic has done to income to revenue you have to keep that in mind that's a big factor for these small markets it's one reason why a lot of teams are, are considered sellers at the deadline is it's got nothing to do with where the team is at. And it's got everything to do with where ownership is at with the kind of losses they've incurred over the last year in business, um, not only from the NBA side, from, but from other businesses. Now, Indiana's has done a pretty good job of of running a type ship. They're pretty disciplined. They're not a reckless organization. They have a uh, long-standing organization that's been responsible all the way through. They've, I've got a no reason to think that's a problem. But that would explain a lot of these kind of issues um or why they would be looking to explore Sabonis I'm still skeptical it happens because this is one of those things where yeah like they're including him in talks but there's a big difference between including him in talks again it's like yeah you can get him if you offer 17 first round picks and your best young player like that's not a real thing no one's gonna do that right so I I think that until we see it I'm kind of skeptical of it happening the other thing I would say as far as Boston goes is just um look, I, I think the most likely scenario is Gordon just because of what I've heard on Collins, but uh, there are other names that are out there. Like they've been linked to everybody and they'll continue to be linked to everybody. And it may be one of those things where the magic keep talking and the magic are like, all right, well, look, what, if not Gordon, what about Vucevic?" And they work on something different. Like there are all these kind of options that can happen. The one thing I will say is that if Boston's willing to give up two first round picks that gets them in the door with a lot of teams that gets you in the door with a lot of options for anybody that's on the market. However, They are not alone in their competition. Miami is actively pursuing upgrades all over. They want a rim protector. They want wing help. They're offering a lot of guys. You've got Golden State that's doing the same. They want wings. Denver's in the market for an upgrade. There's competition on both the buyers and seller side. That leads, I've I've said that, and people have said, like, so you think it's gonna be a pretty you know busy trade deadline i'm like well no because the buyers all want to pay nothing and the sellers want to pay everything for all of the riches in the land and that's you're going to have to find a middle ground in order to make a deal i will say that it sounds like the celtics are being the most reasonable in terms of either if they are willing to part with picks or not and but or if they're willing to part with smart i think they get them in the door on the majority of deals
0: so it sounds like you think it's feasible that the Celtics do make an impactful trade Not Aaron Gordon would be an impactful trade an impactful trade before Thursday's deadline and not use the TPE until the off season.
1: I think it's possible. Um, I think the Gordon deal needs the TPE. I think a lot of the deals that are required uses the TPE, but um, they have some flexibility. They have, they've floated a bunch of different options. I think they have, they have some flexibility, but I would say like their number one, Every, from everything I've heard, all talks have, have begun with using the TPE to absorb mm-hmm. stuff.
2: Yeah, and when it comes to Gordon, it's just like this team. <clears throat> you look at what the way they're built. This team is frustrating to watch multiple reasons. Like for multiple reasons, I mean they they have a fun roster when Jalen and Jason are on the floor at the same time, but you know, when one of them exits the floor, it just becomes a mess. And I'm not trying to, you know, be too harsh here, but it's a disaster this year in comparisons to what they've been able to do with other rosters, especially when you look at the way Brad Stevens has been able to utilize guys, you know, that have no business winning basketball games and been able to, you know, push some teams. I've been really impressed with that. And this year's been the complete opposite of that. You bring in Gordon, and this is a team that needs help offensively when one of the Jays is on the bench. And defensively this year, they are a mess. And, uh, it's been the weirdest, I think part of the season for me watching Boston is watching a team that just doesn't have it at all defensively after so many years and so much data of them being a, a top tier defensive team year in and year out, despite the personnel. In your opinion, Matt, does, does Gordon coming to Boston impact them more on the offensive or defensive side? I think of he the impacts ball?
1: them more on the defensive side yeah. of the ball there are certain situations where he's not able to, like he's not able to guard one through five. He had troubles um, last two years in the playoffs with certain matchups, but he is a very good defender. Like he is a, I I would, I would definitely put him, you know, 75th percentile up defensively. I do think that offensively it's going to be kind of interesting because the problem with Gordon is his inconsistency and Celtics fans might be frustrated with that. That some nights, you know, he's going to have twenty three. And, and six, and then the next night he'll have 12 and four. And that kind of variance is going to be, I think, a little bit distressing. The fact that he's shooting 40% from three is a big step forward. You want to see that consistency going forward. I think that's an issue. My biggest concern, honestly, is about mentality. Uh, Gordon has never adapted to the role that he would be best at, which is essentially a Sean Marion type of role where he fills in the gaps He plays defense. He's a passer. He finishes plays when they play off of him, when they're forced to because of the gravity of the other players on the floor. He doesn't fill in the gaps. He doesn't bring the room together. Instead, he kind of wants to be a star. He wants to be closer to Kawhi Leonard. And I don't think he's really capable of that. And so one question that I would have if I were a Boston fan is, is Aaron Gordon willing to sacrifice with the way that Tatum and Brown are top flight, all-star offensive options, especially the way that Jalen's playing this year. I think that gets a little concerning. Um, and then you got to think about Kimball Walker and the best way to use him. Kim not a pure point. You know, he's a good passer. He's a really good passer, but he's not a pure point. And he's obviously, you know, struggling with physical stuff this season, but he's also going to want to get his touches and his points. And so, I would have some concerns about what Gordon sees as his role on the Celtics. I think those are conversations that Boston needs to have before they were to make a deal for Gordon.
0: I don't think there's a more polarizing player on the Celtics than Marcus Smart. Really, it's not close. And for those that, uh, you know, are are part of the fan club, the, you know, in, in this house, we do not slander Marcus Smart, me, Evan, you know, so many others that have come on this show, maybe the best way to put it, Matt, is we've celebrated Marcus Smart's strengths while acknowledging his weaknesses. That's probably a fair way to put it, I think. But as an outsider, as someone who is you know, a a close follower of the NBA, but not a Celtics fan per se, even though there are plenty of Celtics fans who can't stand Marcus Smart and think his shot selection sucks and don't like it when he shoots period and falls apart late in games and the hashtag winning plays are overrated and yada, yada, yada. How do you view it in terms of what his value truly is to a contending team? Does every team need a Marcus Smart type player? Or in these deals that we're talking about here, should the Celtics actually be willing to move on from Marcus Smart in terms of if you got to move a guy who has value, that's the guy.
1: I reported at the uh, at the draft, the Celtics had had talks. I got this from two sources. The Celtics had had talks with the Warriors for the number two pick for Marcus Smart. Mm-hmm. That was a that was a conversation that I still believe was held. Both sides walked away from it. Um, Boston didn't want to give up Marcus Smart, but there were at least discussions about it. And I was shocked at the time because my opinion is that Marcus smart should be untouchable, that there has to be guys that simply define your culture that represent the core identity of what your team wants to be. And smarts toughness, willingness to sacrifice willingness to be malleable in what his role is willingness to play off of guys. His passing is really underrated. He's a tremendous passer He's not just charges. He's a guy that you can switch on to centers and be able to manage that. Playoff defense. One of the reasons I don't trust the Utah Jazz in the playoffs is they can't switch effectively. You can switch with Marcus Smart, and you can switch him one through five. He's a great passer. Like, is the shooting an issue? I uh, Comes and goes. Like, is, he's had great years. Is the shot selection a problem? Yeah, like, I've seen some of the games this year where I've been like, ooh, that was <laughs> a bad stretch from Marcus. I just think that what he gives you overall is way too much of a positive. One thing, you know, we talked about, um, Evan Evan mentioned just the struggles and watching this team this year, but look, this is a nightmare season for so many teams. It's a nightmare season, especially for the teams that had deep runs late in the playoffs, which the Celtics did. If we look at it, the Nuggets got off to a terrible start. The Heat got off to a terrible start. You know, the Lakers got off to an okay start and then have tailed off as that kind of drifted. So we, we've seen this. And then on top of it with Tatum, you know, acknowledging that he's still recovering from the effects of COVID, that that was a problem for him mm-hmm. with Kemba having been out and then trying to deal with this kind of a schedule with all the interruptions and then being without Marcus Smart for this long. It, maybe Smart's not pressing as much as he has when he's come back and, and this season if things have been, uh, there hadn't been this kind of urgency this season. So to me, I think patience is warranted. I think if you can get a deal without including smart, that's the way to go. If you can move Neesmith, if you can move Langford, I mean,
0: I, I think I'm, I'm with probably all Celtics fans and saying, yeah, I, do that. Sure. We're, we're good with that. But if, I mean, if you're to say smart should be untouchable, obviously Tatum Brown as well. How do you view Robert Williams? He's probably fourth in terms of your pecking order, maybe third to some in terms of your what you're building around going forward right now. Is that a guy who is young but shown so much promise in flashes in the past more regularly this year? Is he a guy that that you got to hang on to or are you willing to ship him out depending on what you're getting in return?
1: It's tough because I've loved how Williams has played this year. So, the last two seasons, um, I was very high on Grant and very low on Robert. That's where I was. Is that mm-hmm. I was like, Robert doesn't know where he's going. It's all effort. Like, it's cool that he's got like athleticism, but he's got no real sense of, of timing. And then with Grant, I was like, oh, look at all these heady plays and how he can operate as a short role. And then obviously, like this year, it's been the exact opposite, where I just like Robert's just been amazing. When he's been on the floor, and Grant has struggled so much, mm-hmm. and all the numbers bear that out. Um, it's tough because, like, I you know, it's like if you ask me, can they get a deal without including Smart or Williams? Not for an upgrade. No, I don't think so. Like, I would be very surprised if this if the Magic were just like, yeah, we'll take the two first round picks and Romeo Langford. No, that's not a thing. I would be I would be shocked if that's the case. If they can pull it off, then congratulations on hypnotizing um, Alex Martins and, and the Orlando Magic. But I don't think that that's that's realistic. It's tough because smart is so endemic to your identity, but Williams has played better, I think. I think he's been a more impactful player this season. Mm-hmm. So the the question is really, you know, I would look at it more from honestly, I think if I was if I were to look at this, I would look at it from this perspective you acknowledge that Tatum is like the franchise and you're going to have to maximize him. Like he's been good. He's, he was great. His rookie season, he struggled his sophomore year. I thought he was great last year this year. It's been up and down, but there's a lot of things in the middle of that. Mm -hmm. The question is for me is like, how do you optimize Jason Tatum? Does Marcus smart optimize him more or does Robert Williams? That's the question I would ask myself before deciding on which one is available in trade talks.
0: Well and it, it again it just to kind of repeat myself I guess it depends what you're getting back right like if you're if there is some sort of deal where you're bringing in John Collins well you only need so many bigs and I'm not saying Robert Williams is the one you want to get rid of I know there've been plenty of reports out there about moving on from Tristan Thompson although there was another report uh, I don't remember who had it yesterday saying that uh, Celtics actually signed thompson with a purpose they really like him they're high on him they don't want to move him it's you can only you just you can only read so many reports about the celtics about well we don't want to give up this guy it's been years of that as we know and celtics fans are increasingly tired of it to the point where they're just downright sick of it and some if you're going to upgrade we've seen how much talent has gone out the door in the last couple of years to where this team and i'm not even saying it's it's wholly worse off but it's certainly a lot less talented top to bottom than it was in that 1819 season were woefully underachieved there's there there there's only so long you can sit there if you're Danny Ainge or anybody else and say we like this guy too much to part with him like no you know no we're not going to give up you know Shemi Ojale and like clearly they would right now but you get my point you can't be in love with every guy if you're looking to upgrade this team
1: yeah I agree with that I think you know that's that seems to be the consensus from other GMs, but then you ask the other GMs, like I've had this other, uh, this conversation with, with executives and said, well, are you willing to give this guy? Well, no, I mean, we really like him. Like we will include him. We'll talk about it, but the return's going to be really high. Okay. Well, what about this guy? Same deal. It's like, do you want to upgrade the team or do you not? Like that has to be a decision that you make. Um, But I also think that it's, it's, there's a lot that goes into this in terms of the perceptions too. Right. Like, losing a trade is is a real killer for Mm -hmm. for gms that's a that's a real killer um and it gets you destroyed in the media most especially and that impacts and that stuff does get to ownership now i think Ainge is interesting because i don't think that like danny's had so much success like has had so much success why would he be as concerned about it like it should just be you know does this make the team into what you think it does however i I could also understand if it's like well look I think Aaron Gordon makes this team better, but I don't think he makes us a championship contender. Right. I think that's a fair assessment. Right. And so you're like, well, why am I going to give up these assets when I need, like, I don't need to give up these assets for Aaron Gordon. I need to get Aaron Gordon to go with these assets to go, go with these other players. Yeah. Like that's a problem that teams have is like, am I just, is it a net net neutral for me? If I give up good players that help us in exchange for a player that I think could help us more, but it winds up washing out how, what have I really done except give up draft equity. And so that I think is where this becomes complicated. And you also just, again, the context of the season, that's one thing I've heard consistently from people around the league. It's just, this is a hard season to try and make sense of anything. How do you make sense of any of this? Because, you have COVID, you have health and safety protocols, you have an insane schedule, you have testing every day, you have all the stress of of life in the last 18 months. Like everything that's happened, it's just been an extremely stressful time and there's so much going on all the time. And so it's, it's a matter of how do you really make sense of the season? How do you really make assessments on where your team is at? That's one of the reasons why there was some reticence that Orlando would wind up doing anything at all. You know, but- they seem ready to make a deal, and I think if Boston, if Boston does want to say we are absolutely not a 500 team, we're going to put ourselves back into a, having a chance that if we get hot the right time, I do think they have to make a deal.
0: Celts were in the East Finals last year. Really, a couple of things could have broken right. They could have been in the NBA Finals. Some people, certainly some Celtics fans, believe they should have been in the NBA Finals, that they underachieved in losing to Miami. So three trips the last four years under Brad Stevens, who I think gets, gets – woefully, woefully, uh, you know, I, I've used that word already, but just, I mean, unnecessarily panned for some of the failures that have happened over the last, you know, almost a decade that he has been here. Nevertheless, where this team is right now, as we talk, they're a game under 500. Do they have what it takes on the roster without, you know, the only real turnover, they lost Gordon Hayward. And that, to me, I think the under, the importance of that was underscored in the offseason when, when they did lose him. And I, I think that is shown with how he's performed there in Charlotte. But generally speaking, most of the roster is what it was last year, absent Hayward. Do they have enough on the roster to figure it out, to, to get back to where people believe they are capable of being, where they should be, where they were last year? Or is this the group? Is, is this what it is?
1: I think they do. Here's one thing I've been thinking a lot about. Um, the Celtics have been great in situations where they're underdogs, Let's go back before the Kyrie trade. Let's go back to those Isaiah years. That roster wasn't great. Mm -mm. It wasn't. They made the Eastern Conference Finals with a not great roster because their entire identity was like, we're going to outwork you. Like, we're going to play so hard and so disciplined and so smart that we're going to get past you. We're going to beat you with collective team basketball. That I think has been missing this year. And I I attribute a lot of that to the inability for guys to give the kind of regular season effort that they need in the context of the season with the testing and the schedule and everything else. I think that that's messed with things. I think when you're a team that under Brad Stevens has always been about high effort, especially in years where they don't have the top end talent that for them to struggle in a year like this, I think you have to look at it and say, They haven't been able to find that gear. Now that's where I do think the questions about Stevens come in in terms of like, okay, so he can motivate them before, but not now. But then I also go back around and go, maybe in a regular year, he's got them like over competing and and going over their heads. And if they get into a playoff series, Tatum and Brown are guys that I trust. I think Kimball Walker's got better basketball in him. I don't think this is just like who he is now. I think that he's going through a rough patch, but I think that he's still got enough miles in him to be good I think their their front court, I thought, was going to doom them last year. It doesn't make sense that they lost Enos Canner and added Tristan Thompson and have had more issues in the front court. That doesn't make any sense. So I think that they can improve on that end. The defensive slide has been really perplexing. Um, I do think they could use some more bench options, and maybe like that's the answer here. It's just like, okay, if we bolster the bench, if we get more options off the bench, better scoring, some veterans, some guys that know what they're doing, maybe that, I think, shores it up. I don't think they need like a major trade. I think Gordon helps them if they make that deal. I think Collins helps them if they make that deal. But I don't think that that's what they absolutely have to have. I think they can get into the playoffs and still be a problem. I still think this team is really talented. I still think Tatum and Brown have played awesome. I still think there's a lot of upside to this team. Um, I think mostly what they need is they need to get into an environment where what Brad Stevens teaches is more easily able to be translated to the court.
0: have anything else for Matt?
1: No,
2: I mean, it's just, we're all going to sit here and wait and, 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 you know, the next 48 hours are going to be very fun, stressful, whatever. Uh, just, you know, hold on and, 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 you know, I'm ready for the eventual Danny didn't have uh, enough <laughs> T- to, to get it two done. Sides and, to tango. and, and just the absolute meltdown is going to happen on Twitter when it happens. I'm just so used to it by now. It does feel a little bit different. I'm glad Matt has sort of backed that up. This team feels a little bit more desperate considering you know, what the expectations were this season and what has happened. The only thing, and again, both of you guys have mentioned it is, is this is like one of the weirdest seasons we've had. It, it is, it is just in the, the mileage this team has put on themselves and the schedule and the back to back and all that stuff. It's, it's a weird year in, in mortgaging your future a little bit to try and, and, and correct what has been a weird year. Um, you know, doesn't sit well with me. But what also doesn't sit well with me is like waiting for the off season to use that TPE when you think there's more available and there really is. I mean, it's just it's there's so many questions and and it's one of the things that as I sit here talking to you guys about basketball, I mean, I would kill to be a GM of a team. But like that, it, it must be if you're Danny Ainge or any GM in the league right now, it must just be an extremely stressful and confusing time because you have no idea how to make heads or tails of the season, um, especially when you're Boston and. Again, you haven't been fully healthy the entire year and, and, and as much as Bill wanted like poo poo Romeo Langford, like he had made a couple of different improvements over the years and I'm curious to see what he brings when he finally gets on the court. So, um, I'm, I'm excited because this is a really exciting time here. It's news going on like crazy, but I always put my expectations with this stuff because it, as you also said, takes two to tango to get a deal done.
0: It's going to be an interesting time, no doubt about it. Matt Moore, of course, uh, Action Network, does a phenomenal job. Always grateful when he is uh, available to come on and join us here, talk a little Celtics. Hopefully that, I don't know, puts some people in a good headspace. We'll find out over the next 48 hours, like we said. Matt, we'll let you jump out. We're going to continue on for just a little bit. But Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks,
1: thanks for, for having time. me, guys. Thanks, again,
0: Matt Moore, and uh, make sure you check out his work on uh, Twitter and all the write-ups on Action Network. Everything else. I want to tell you quickly too: Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but of course, NBA, college basketball, the NHL—they're in full swing. NBA title odds: the Nets, the Kyrie irving Nets, once again, plus two forty to win a championship, while the Lakers, plus three hundred to repeat. Even though both their stars are sideline right now the Clippers plus 550 Jazz plus 750 I agree with Matt Uh, I wouldn't make that bet Celtics if you believe they can be a problem in the playoffs and turn things around plus 4,000 if you want to lay some cash try and make a little money the big dance though if you're watching the video, you can see Evan shirt. The big dance finally here as well. And Bet Online is the place for you to make a killing during this year's NCAA tournament. Live odds for every single game. So, so many ways to win. Gonzaga looking for an undefeated season, plus 140 to go out and win all those brackets. Baylor plus 350. Michigan plus 850. One seed, one seed, one seed. And uh, then you move to Houston plus 900. Alabama plus 1200. There is also, circling back to the pros, a special NBA trade prop featuring Andre Drummond, John Collins, Kyle Lowry, Lonzo Ball, Nikola Vucevic, uh, Norman Powell, and Victor Oladipo as well. So check that out. BetOnline has you covered. For all the news, the scores, the odds, it's the best way to place your bets. It is free to sign up. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action and don't forget to use that promo code. It is CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit again that promo code is clns50 bet online your online sportsbook experts so continuing on for just a a little bit more evan Valenti and i i mean major takeaways from what matt talked about i I guess um for me frankly i'm surprised that he thinks the celtics can figure it out you know I, i heard paul pierce say that on tv the other day and like I expect that from Paul Pierce from someone who is a, uh, a national writer covering all these teams and watching all these teams closely and just seeing the consistent inconsistency from this team and the consistent lack of effort and energy and give a leap that the Celtics have exig- ex- exhibited over the course of this season. Quite frankly, I am surprised to hear Matt say he thinks that, you know, they can still recover even without any, roster additions or changes of significance and and be a problem in the postseason almost as if you know health and effort just changes everything which I mean I, I guess to a degree it would I'm, I'm just not a believer that all of a sudden the effort is you know that switch is going to flip Beth
2: well again you know this is a team that's going to have two guys that are all-stars and you look at whenever you look at a playoff series, it's like, all right, you start matching up who's the best players are going to be, you know, Boston's going to have firepower uh, to, to contend with some teams, especially if Kemba can figure out a way to turn this around. And, you know, he's going to be starting, he's going to play uh, in back-to-back games and all that stuff, you know, hopefully, you know, by the end of the season. So he gets used to it and then they get ready for the playoffs and he's going to be, you know, hopefully off that minutes restriction. Smart will be, if he's on the team, uh, will be off that minutes restriction. Um, if they're and anybody, you know, they, there's, you know, there's additions to be made. Um, you know, especially if, if you look at Brooklyn and for some reason, Kyrie and KD, um, you know, if KD doesn't come back, we haven't seen Kevin Durant in quite a bit. I don't think he's played 10 consecutive games this year. I think I saw, I heard that the other day. Um, you know, you have Philadelphia with that, the MB thing, see what he looks like when he comes back from injury. Obviously without your MVP candidate, you're a different basketball team. So the East could be potentially wide open. And again, if you know that's a particular outcome of, of the Eastern Conference, why can't Boston uh, do what they do? But it's this team. It's just annoying. And, and you know, you said it the other day the other day, I think it was a couple weeks ago, like you hate watching this team. And it's, it's sort of started to get there in that direction for me as well, just because it's just inconsistent and it's it's. Maddening because they have so many moments where you're like, oh my goodness, here we go. This is, this is the time that they're going to put it together. Uh, this is the energy they need. And then all of a sudden it's gone five minutes later. So I, I you know, teams that have done things before in the, like the LeBron James teams, you know, they don't give you a full maximum regular season effort. You're like, who cares? They have LeBron James, right? I, you don't, know, this team was not can't afford that. And, and they're a game under 500. They just haven't been able to put any stretch of of good basketball together for an extended period of time. And, again, part of that, you know, are are the injuries, COVID, all these things. It's just, you know, with all the data we have already, you know, uh, with this team, do you expect them to be able to right the ship and correct that to forge a whole new set of data that suggests that they could go further? I mean, I I don't know. It feels like, and we talked with Washburn about it, they need some sort of shakeup to wake their ass up or something. I I, I just – it's times they feel lethargic. Sometimes they feel locked in and I, I, I'm not quite sure w- what is the cause for that. And, you know, I, I appreciate Matt's optimism. I just don't share it right now. I really don't. I, I'm not
0: saying. So what I said before, I, 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 stand by like two first round picks, depending on the protect protections, of course. And that is an important detail. Feels like a lot for Aaron Gordon. So I'm not, I'm not saying I wouldn't make the deal. Well, they're going to be protected. Yeah. You know, they will oh, be Sharon yeah. is very adamant about like, pick protections like you know, and one all is, these things. So I wouldn't top be top 10. The yeah, others like top 20 or something like that. I'd, I'd make the deal. Yeah. I would, I would, I would give up multiple first round picks, not multiple, like three or four, but two, I'd give up two first round picks for Aaron Gordon and, and make that move. But obviously the question is what else is involved in that trade? Like would I deal Marcus smart for Aaron Gordon and two first round picks. I would not, you know, are we talking about two first round picks in Aaron Neesmith or Romeo Langford, something like that? I would do that. I, I feel like that is a shakeup, you know, or uh, of, of some circumstance of some significance to come in and just give you a, uh, some depth that that you are so sorely lacking, obviously, this Celtics team. That being said, I do agree with what Matt said that, you know, there there isn't really a move you can make that you feel like you've all of a sudden just transformed this team into contender status, you know, based on what you'd be sending out the door in the process. Like if, if you're keeping, if, if you're finding a way, he put it, you know, hypnotizing Orlando, if you're finding a way to keep all the important players that you care about, like the truly important players, never mind, um, You know, and so we're not like going down the road of like Grant Williams and, and, Chemi or even Peyton Pritchard necessarily even though obviously I, I don't I wouldn't choose to deal him um if you can bring in like Fournier and Gordon around Tatum and Brown and Walker and Smart and Rob Williams like yeah I mean now we're talking about a team that could actually maybe make a little noise and I'm not saying beat the Lakers but you know actually make a a real playoff run and and if if you talk about then extending Fournier and and you see what Gordon does next year in the last year of his deal. Like, yeah, maybe you're reshaping your core. But short of that, I don't really know that that there is that move that, that just totally flips your season on its head. I don't know. Do you see it differently?
2: Well, I don't think – I don't know if Gordon is – I mean, I don't know if Gordon's the guy. And I think Aaron Gordon is a, a fun player to – you know, dream about in terms of like, if he were to figure out his, his, you know, perfect role on the team. like, yeah, it's a good, that's a fun player to talk about. I mean, he's shooting 41% from three this year. He's up towards you know, five, six assists a game, scored, you know, 14, 15 a game and he rebounds the ball really well. He's fun in transition and he, he adds a lot of fun wrinkles to a basketball team. Again, my problem with this is, and I think Matt's is, he mentioned it as well. Not totally sure if Aaron Gordon wants to be that guy. And, you know, he's always tried to be the guy in Orlando. And, you know, to his credit, you know, I mean, Vucevic is a nice player. Don't get me wrong. I think he's tremendous. Um, but I could see how he's like, well, you know, trying to, you know, become the superstar player in Orlando because he doesn't believe in the talent around him. You know, you, you'd have to bank on is if you trade for Aaron Gordon and, and the Fournier stuff, like I actually don't really understand. Um, I guess he's a shooter off the bench for you, but. I'm not totally sure if he really improves your depth all that much, but I could be wrong on that, and I would be willing to eat crow on that. But it's more circled around Gordon. Can Gordon come in and can Stevens and Brown and Tatum go to him and say, "Look, man, like and around," and especially if they have kind of a peck around here, means you're you're you know you've got to sacrifice a lot of your shots. Um, they're just not going to come your way. I mean, we have guys. you know, Tatum and Brown are all stars. Uh, Tatum is one of the best shot makers uh, in the NBA right now and, and what he can do on the offensive floor and what have been able to watch the past couple weeks has been really fun. Brown has taken a huge leap. Um, both of those guys deserve more shot opportunities than Aaron Gordon. Gordon has to take his energy, which he has quite a bit of, and focus in certain areas. And, and look, if he were to become this switchable defender, you know, point forward distributor sort of guy – then yeah, like that's a really fun basketball team, but I don't know if I believe that he's capable of doing that. I, and I don't know if John Collins is capable of sacrificing the way John Collins would have to sacrifice if he were to come aboard, um, and, and, and able to, you know, to sacrifice shots
0: for the better. And of then the don't team. forget, don't know, it's not, especially it's not because money, he wants, to be for, paid. like he's a guy who just turned down what four for 90 from Atlanta. Yeah. So you would be giving him a hefty right. contract yeah. in free agency to justify the trade and then yeah. keep him. The only guy that you can
2: talk about realistically of being like, oh yeah, I'm totally, absolutely 100% positive that he would be able to, you know, make himself malleable to be the best version of his, himself on this team. And that's Sabonis. And we both think there's absolutely no shot there to hell dream. of that actually happening. So yeah, I mean, that would be the guy and I, I would offer an outrageous amount for Demonis Sabonis and I would be willing to say bye to both smart and, and, uh, Timeline yeah, if that both. came down to it. I think he was just absolutely tremendous. And he would be, again, that's the type of guy you wouldn't have any questions about, um sacrificing a well, union sacrifice for the, the team. You wouldn't have to worry about that with it. But I mean, I like Aaron Gordon. It's not like I don't, uh, maybe a change of scenery for him in a bigger market would really do wonders. Boston has, has coveted him apparently for the past couple of years. And you go back to the draft, there's that great picture, I think of Aaron Gordon on the tee, like, Falling asleep with a basketball in the stands. I think he might have had a workout with Boston at that point. Um, they've liked him for a while. And, and if, if Danny knew, you know, likes somebody and he tends to grab them, he tends to be right more than he's wrong on certain things. So, um, but that's the belief you'd have to have if you're Danny, a conversation with Brad, a conversation with your, you know, your coaches and your scouts, like, do you believe this guy can be uh, a different player than he is? I don't I just don't know if I see it because I think there might have been too many bad habits. Yeah, I don't know that I'm random.
0: sold on him. I, I really don't. You know, it's like a normally like I mean, for anyone out there listening that follows me on Twitter, like, you know, I, I get excited over certain things, certain guys. And I just I don't know. Aaron Gordon has just never excited me like, yeah, go get that guy. It's like he just he, I, I feel like. But what else? I mean, what else?
2: There's the, the, the problem you have is there's not a lot. Well, it's, it's not even available, just that, though. Like, I, I
0: just, you know, even when, even guys who like haven't been available in the past that that Ange has been seemingly obsessed with. You know, the Jimmy Butler's and Kevin Loves of the world. Like I, I feel like Aaron Gordon is, and and he's he's still 25. Like I said, so it's it's not like man that that's it ceilings cap. Thanks for coming out, buddy. But I I what I've seen so far from him in the NBA, I feel like this guy not not to go all Jeff Green on him because I think he's a better player than Jeff Green, but I feel like he screams like, this guy will never hit his potential. You know, you'll see it in flashes. You'll see some great games. But overall, like this is a guy who who in the right situation, I'm not even saying Boston is that situation because maybe you just have too many guys at that point. You probably do. And maybe Orlando to some degree with Fournier and Vooch is that situation, Uh you know, or isn't that situation either. But like he's, I don't know, it, it's almost... When I looked up his stats yesterday doing a little more research on Gordon, I expected to see him have one year that he's averaged 19-20 points a game. And he he hasn't gotten there yet. And and now I'm starting to wonder if unless he's just on a bad team where he's the only guy, if he's ever going to get there, if he's ever going to be that guy. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, but like we could also we should play the opposite here too cuz we're a little like pessimistic. You know, the optimistic version of this is like he comes in he gives them the scoring they need that they don't have when one of the Jays hits the bench. I mean, they clearly need some scoring. And Aaron Gordon, you know, he's had some really, really, really good games throughout his career. I mean, you know, most notably the 39-point effort he had against the Nets the other night. I mean, that's going to obviously turn a couple of heads. And, and, you know, look, the the Nets don't play really great defense, but scoring 39 points in an NBA game is hard for anybody to do. So if you do it, props to you. The other thing that you have to also consider here is – like Aaron Gordon's never been on a team as talented before, right? You know, shots are going to be easier for him to come by ever than, you know, than ever in his entire career, right? He's always been the focal point, uh, whether it's in high school, you go back to Arizona, though those Arizona, that Arizona team was, was nice. Like he was a huge part of their offense and I'm sure he got a lot of attention. You know, goes to Orlando, you know, and he's a guy, you know, high, high draft pick comes in. Um, gets a lot of the defensive attention as he gets older. And then, you know, they fill out a round, but they've never really filled out a team around him that really benefits him. Right. He's always been a a focal point along with Vucevic Mm -hmm. in terms of how their offense is carried. So the flip side to us being very pessimistic about this is he's never been in a situation with more talent on the roster than this. And so his offensive opportunities are going to be a lot easier for him sharing the floor with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker, I, you know, when you have that much offensive attention, you know, already devoted to the perimeter, life could be a lot easier for Aaron Gordon. Um, he does have the ability to move the basketball, which this team, I think, desperately needs. Okay, let's just, you know, they become too one-on-one focused mm-hmm. too often. And, you know, Jalen and Jason have become great one-on-one players. Jalen uh, has uh has been fun to watch this year just because he, you know – I didn't see the the bad coming that he currently has. And Jason Tatum is just an otherworldly scorer and can score on basically anybody. Um, and, you know, how Aaron makes their lives a lot easier is also something very interesting. Defensively, they're a nightmare sometimes to watch because they just seem lazy. They don't communicate as well. Maybe Gordon comes in, this switchability, and gives them an opportunity to, to you know, thrive in the defensive end. So, you know, I, I, I say that I don't see I, – I, that I might not like it but I also see the upside there. I'm not trying to say that I don't. I hate the fact that people are going to probably kill me for toeing the line. I one on each side and not really picking a side. I've picked one. I, I'm, you know, d- depending what they trade, like if, you know, if Marcus smarts included, I'm going to be, I'm going to be pissed. I'm going to be really, really angry. And that's an overpay. But if they hang on to smart and it's picks that are protected and it's whatever, then I'm okay with it. Um, fit wise, I have questions, but I also can see what they like about the fit. So, Um, it's a weird way of saying like pending what the deal is, I'll be happy or not. And the problem is we're speculating on what the possible deal is. Again, any inclusion of market smart, and I'm, I'm not happy at all, but if they find a way to get Aaron Gordon without giving that up, yeah, then I can, I can definitely be talking to this, no question. And the, the optimistic stuff that I pointed out, I could easily just be like, yeah, I'm a good segue where I want
0: to wrap up, which is this, I brought it up with Matt. Uh, We can talk about it quickly. The two of us. Uh, I tweeted out last night. I'm certain what this poll would have looked like a year ago at this time, but I'm curious what it looks like now. Celtics fans, would you rather trade Marcus Mart or Robert Williams? And about 3000 people close to it have voted. Uh, there have been plenty of comments, no doubt about it. Uh, some people saying that I'm just preparing myself to get emotionally destroyed either way. Uh, some people just refusing to even look at the results because they abstain from voting. They, they refuse to choose a side. well, Marcus Smart, fans would 60% choose to get rid of him over Robert Williams based on what people have seen from the Time Lord this year. How about you? You know, listening to Matt, Smart's still that untouchable guy. Which guy would you rather get rid of if you had to part with one? Um, it's not easy.
2: The fact the hard part is because they both bring you something that um that uh they both bring you energy off the bench that you desperately need. Um
0: as Matt said, one provides more for your company. Both have and extensions coming.
2: Does. Um they both do stuff like Rob does stuff for a big guy that you just don't see a lot of and Marcus Soris things for a basketball player you don't see a lot of. I think I would probably trade Rob over Marcus. But as a lot of people don't, I don't want to get rid of either. But I'd probably trade Rob over yeah,
0: it's It would depend a lot, obviously, on the deal meeting. Like I brought up with Matt, who you're getting back. Like, are you getting a big man back? That might influence my thinking. It, looking at it blindly, right. I can't believe I'm saying this. But I think I might be more inclined right now today to trade Marcus. Uh, just because of what I what I've convinced myself that Rob Williams ceiling could be Um, easier to find good guards it is not easier to find you know all defensive first team guards or you know what he gives your culture and and those again hashtag winning plays and all those other things but uh, obviously to just consider some of the uh, intangibles at play and and what both have and and what they're missing from one another it's Yeah, it's not easy. It is not easy. But um, fortunately, we don't need to make those decisions. So we've got ourselves, uh, like we said, about 48 hours, ballpark anyway, until the uh, next game rolls around here, uh, or actually a little less, 24 to the next game or so, and then obviously trade deadline after that on Thursday. So uh, there will be, like Evan said, lots more rumors and reports and tweets and and stuff to keep us busy uh, to react to. But what will actually happen? We will see this show again uh, with Matt Moore from the Action Network, powered by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag today. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a fifty percent bonus when you sign up. It's going to be exciting. I hope we have a move to talk about. Ev, I'm pumped. Yeah, we'll go, go Syracuse! Serious. Sweet by sixteen, the way. baby. Get it Let's done. Go. Keep it up. We'll talk to you again after the trade deadline, folks. Maybe even. No promises, but maybe even that evening.